The podcast where two friends talk about two of our favorite things, fish and beer. Fish and beer. And today it's slightly different. It's Ghost of the Forest and beer. Yeah. (laughs) So we came in on It's Blue. Actually, don't even know if that's actually on the album or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so here's the whole thing. Here's like the whole thing, which you probably don't know because you don't read. Yeah. So here's the thing. Trey wrote the album. The album is nine songs. Okay. He recorded that in his barn with the band members uh, right after Chris Cottrell died. So he was in a very like negative and like sad and somber mind space. Who's Chris Cottrell? His childhood friend that died in 2019. Okay. So those nine songs were like when he was in that headspace. And then he like, after the album was completed and recorded, wrote 11 more songs. And the 11 songs were more like uh, about like acceptance and like moving on and like having hope, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason why like the shows, they decided to do all these shows is because he wanted to figure out then how to go back in and work in the 11 songs he wrote post album to mix with the nine songs from the album and to give you an experience that's like he described it as like a swinging pendulum between like sadness things that are sad and things that were very hopeful okay so uh i got the privilege of being at uh the grand united theater grand united palace theater wherever the fuck we were in washington heights (laughs) when they played the united palace theater i think that's the name of it in new york and it was the last show of the east coast leg and that's the one they decided to record. They're going to make a another album, basically, and then like a video release of that show. Or an edited version of the two shows together from New York. Has he said in any interviews or anything, like what, he's, other than that this pendulum thing, like what's thematic about this whole project? It's not th- about being thematic. It's about being able to present something that he had in his head that he didn't realize until after he wrote 11 songs post nine song album. Okay. So then it became basically like he almost wrote like two separate albums and then him wanting to go back and like working in the 11 songs to the nine songs. I was going to say when we saw them in Maine, we saw like 22 songs. It was a Yeah, it was about 20 songs. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So and that's what he did. That's the point of all these shows, the series of all these shows. And then within the series of the shows, he wanted the the shows to have evolution. And like I did see that because at the in New York show, the New York show. That was the second to last show, right? So you saw you essentially the saw their the first Lake show tour. and their last show. The last show of the East Lake East Leg Tour. Yes. Got it. So they're going to the West Coast and doing this again. They're doing two more shows on the West Coast. Got it. But yeah, I forget what I was saying because you interrupted me. So no, uh, you moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't remember what I was talking about. But it was important. <laughs> So have you listened to the album at all? No. It was released April 12th. Okay. That was uh, Friday. And they were playing a show Friday and Saturday, and I went to the Saturday show on the 13th. Yeah. And I hadn't listened to the album then, and I still haven't listened to the album now. Okay. And I'm told it's, like, very, like, flat and kind of just, like, uninspired, and, like, you had to have seen, like, the shows to, like, get the whole concept that Trey was going for. 
Yeah, it's like standard fish. <laughs> the album version yeah, is always I mean, flat. Yeah, There's yeah, like sure, an energy sure, part sure. to it. There's like a live component to it. Yeah, sure. Um, how'd you? F- I mean, <laughs> I feel I, like you can make that argument for anything. <laughs> I, I mean, I just think it's like especially true of their scope of their work. I don't know. Out of the two shows that I went to, the f- the first show in Portland Maine at the State Theater and the last one at the United Grand Palace or wherever the fuck it is in New York, yeah, the first one I had a lot more fun at the show. Interesting. Can you? Elaborate? And it's, it's strange because I would have thought it would have been like a more like culminating like people loving it thing, but like people were not liking it in the, at the New York show I that I was at. I was gonna say for which is weird because I think they were all expecting fish, something fishy. And this is completely different. I think what you were also saying about like watching it evolve and like hoping that it like turns into like a more comfortable like show. Didn't I thought you were saying one of the things that you noticed between the first show and the last show was that there were more jams, but there was They were like it shows like flourishing on different parts and they were trying to move it into more type two jamming, and I guess you could kind of argue it was that way, but it was pretty this similar, very similar. Okay. I'm just talking about the energy. I thought the energy was much better at the Portland show. Got it than the new york show new york was crabby people were crabby this not crabby no just like yeah people were I, I don't know maybe maybe it was like my section maybe whatever but i felt like people were like generally not really into it and before the show we were talking to somebody sitting next to us that were saying people were trying to unload their shows for saturday tickets for saturday which makes sense because huh. there were like at least like a dozen seats around me that weren't filled hmm. that's crazy <laughs> it's not crazy why would you need to go see the same show twice I'm not saying that that's... Right? Oh, you mean people bought the tickets, tickets for Friday and Saturday. For Friday and Saturday and then tried to ditch. Yeah, that makes why would sense. you go on a Saturday to see the same show you just saw? I, I thought you were meeting people in the theater on Friday who were saying they had to dump their tickets because they just needed I wasn't away. there Friday. I was only there Saturday. Got it. <laughs> okay. I don't know what was happening on Friday. I wasn't there. Okay. I was only at the second show. Um, they were like the simulcast was all over the place on Friday. Funny enough, you watched the simulcast. It was all over the internet. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, I didn't end up watching it. No, I have no desire to watch it. <laughs> Especially after you were you were like researching it in between the shows, and you discovered that they were doing the same thing over and over and over again. I was like, it was the same. Mm. It was almost identical. Which is also interesting, right? <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about why people were trying to ditch their tickets to the Saturday show and like why people were not like as receptive to this. And uh, and I think a large part of it is because it wasn't different. Mm. We take for granted, way for granted, that we see a band that does things different all the time. So like it quickly like swoops you way back to like every other artist that does the same show when you see them multiple times. I'm curious though, like if we like pull up the side projects like if we look, pulled up Jay Anastasio band and Mike Gordon band and like looked at their shows if they were the same they're probably still pretty like fish-esque where they rotate to a good degree that's what I'm saying like is it really a weird expectation to go into a side project show and expect something to change and <laughs> to change how I, I it, yeah no no it question. is yeah it is you just, well, I think you're just reverse prove the point you were trying to prove every other time you go see a side project Anastasio trio tab mike gordon band they play fish songs i don't know about mike he might not play any fish songs because his music is like weirder more like arty and fish doesn't really fit into that but tab and Anastasio band trio will always play fish songs yeah and that's that is an expectation that i don't think they would ever disappoint with 
Yeah. This is like this is supposed to be like a unique project, a completely like kind of like different thing, devoid of like fish or anything fishy, because like that's what his friend was for him. His friend was his childhood friend, and his it was his like escape from fish. Yeah. Like he would go like fishing with him in Colorado when they were like touring in Colorado. Like their families on like camping trips together. Like it was his like thing away from fish. So I think the expectation, at least for me, would have been it would have tried to be something completely creative and unique, and I should have accept I should accept it as such. Do you think the like the mourning and happiness pendulum swing that you were supposed to have evoked in you during the performance was translated? Like, do you feel like? Yeah, one hundred percent. That's like a beautiful verbal sentence of exactly how I felt. Like a pendulum was swinging back and forth because it was like sad and then it was like happy and then it was like sad and then it was like happy. And I was talking to G3PO, he's the guy we went to the show with, um, that like I love the way that Trey takes something sad, like the song that's called It's Blue and the main lyric is It's Blue All Around, which is something negative, but then puts it to the beat that he puts it to. It's blue all around, which is like singing choir it sounds like you're in a church like gospel choir like so it's more like upbeat and like rejoiceful with a lyric that's like pretty sad and like he has this like ability to do that with all the songs so you're saying even when the song should be sad you're not feeling too bummed out yeah it's just like a good high and low huh i honestly felt like songs themselves within one track they were like that like you could be in the middle of a song that was in a jammy part, then it would space out, or it could be like really like funky reggae, and then mm. before it was like kind of like not like it's all th- really Hendrix driven, like fucking rock guitar kind of driven, and then I think th- he wanted the female vocal aspect just because it would make it seem more like choir like like church like like yeah you know, yeah yeah the backup you know what singers I mean? were so great i think they were underutilized i always think when they're backup singers in any project that they're underutilized <laughs> just because i want to hear that gospelly rich chorus always <laughs> i think apparently uh there's like layered guitars on the album and uh, like it, it was trey 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 it was all trey it wasn't like uh Cerise, Cerise, the black woman she plays guitar so yeah. she's not on the album it's all trey got it so again um, i think like the sh- the live show is something that he always talks about it as like evolution it evolved into the thing that it was yeah i think what's really interesting is that i'm looking the only show that i've been able to find which is how we got the audio for this episode yeah uh is from our show in maine um, yeah, that's the only thing I could find with audio files and we have from our show. It's on SoundCloud, which is obviously really easy to access. You can buy this. You can buy the shows on Live Fish or Fish OD or whatever. Oh, on you Fish. You can yeah, buy yeah, the yeah. shows. The yeah. shows. Uh, you can also simul if you bought the simulcasts over the weekend. Um, they were giving you a couple days to replay them. Like how many days? Like the whole weekend? Like Normally three days? it's like the, the next, next day, day you can't. You can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that's is cool. not how it used to be. It used to be like at least the day after. Um, they did what I said they should do on the podcast the time that I was saying they should do it. Let people retroactively be able to watch something that they purchase. Yeah, you should be able to do that. You should <laughs> once you buy the webcast, you should own those files. Yeah, uh, I think that would make it worth its value for sure. But so look, H track eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen. Half the show is no unlisted names. tracks. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. So he wrote the nine song album and then eleven additional songs. And that's why, like, after the show, before I read this article, like, I didn't get where the discrepancy was coming from. Like, why there were only nine songs on the album and we saw, like, 20-something songs. Mm. And that's why. 
Yeah, I just I, I found wish it, I, I found think this that I think down. we were talking about this earlier, but I think that you have a hard time like being like one of those people I was saying you have to be like it just kind of accepting it as a new, fresh, creative thing when there are band members that you've seen in other projects. I think you have to like put your mind aside from that. Like yeah, accept I have a hard the band time. as they are. Yeah, well when they make like movies about comic books that I like because I was a comic book nerd, like I get too absorbed as well, they're doing the arc wrong. Like they changed the ending. This is like not relatable to me anymore. Like the I'm a stickler for <laughs> stick to the formula. <laughs> well, what did you enjoy any of our girls to the forest show? Um, there were moments. Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought it was a cool vibe. I thought the music was really well received there. Yeah. I thought the crowd was great. <laughs> I, yeah, it was the nicest, was it was the it. nicest concert in a theater that I've ever been to. Yeah. Cause normally theater concerts are really terrible. People get there super early. The people, People are like not so crazy and get, you know, their orchestra seats and throw their jackets over the seats and everybody's like really territorial and whatever. This was like the opposite. If you had to pick a favorite song, what would it be? Um, I think we're using it. A song that you the, actually like. For the midway break. <laughs> for the, the break. Yeah, I, th- I believe we're using it for the midway break. It's called. Do you know what the song's called? Mm, not drift while you're sleeping. I think it is called drift while you're sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> it's got reggae in it. I think that's the best song. To be honest with you, I think that's the straight up best song. And I think that's the song that will get worked into fish if they're gonna start pulling this this music into fish. I think I that is the song that's that the will one go. song for me that I think that will trans. It'll transcend. Go. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I hope none of these will songs he are bring them on stage to sing with him and fish. That's the question. I guess whenever they're there. Oh, the girls. And yeah. Stuff? Whenever they're there. Yeah. But they're like even <laughs> th- I want to say there was a time where tab and fish were like playing within a weekend of each other and people were like, oh, they're going to come on stage. They did do that. They've done it. Yeah. They they've definitely do. do they've definitely gone on tour with them, too. <laughs> they did like the some tour. Easter jam or some shit. And like Fish played a song, and like as like the song went on, like each me- each member would step off, and then the Tab member would step on, and then Tab played. Huh. It's like the coolest thing ever, and I can't find audio files of it anywhere. Someone sent me a text message of some weird format that you're gonna have to figure out how to play. <laughs> but Decrypt I have <laughs> I have audio of it. I also think it's really <laughs> funny that the SoundCloud picture of this looks like Trey's jizzing his pants on stage. What did you think of the visuals? Let's talk about that a little bit. I thought it's the worth set mentioning. was yeah beautiful. Yeah. It was like the way the lights hit off of it. There was like texture within texture, but it was almost like it, it paper scims. Like it almost reminded me of like Japanese paper or like origami. Yeah, yeah. And like sure. it was weird because when certain colors hit it, especially like reds and oranges and yellows all at the same time, it looked like a sun. Yep. But like there were other times where like they would do a rainbow cascade across it and it would like look like almost like a visualizer where all the colors were morphing into each other and i think it was all just the texture yeah from that scrim it was pretty great yeah yeah there's a lot of uh layers but there were kind of simple tricks that yeah. they used to make them they also had those led screens the leds yeah. yeah and then just behind like blocks of like screens that could change color because they were like receptive to the color and then over that though they had the like origami type shapes I wonder if uh, Trey goes up to Kuroda and was just like, hey, I got this little thing going on. And Kuroda's just like, it's not big enough. <laughs> My rig won't fit. <laughs> no, see, again, anymore. you're being like that douchey <laughs> fish fan who's like associating <laughs> the project with fish. Uh, what you just said makes me like I'm irritated. But like you're proving my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you, like, you, you know what I mean? It to be a separate thing where he hired an artist to come in and design it. Because it, it's, it's a different thing. Like, cause it's yeah, a completely yeah, yeah, different yeah. thing. All right. All right. I genuinely enjoyed seeing this music. I thought it was really great. Yeah. You s- again, you saw it twice. So that's you had the unique perspective of revisiting it. Honestly, yeah, it's like, like seeing a movie for the second time. I was going to say, were there things that you n- didn't notice the first time? Yeah. That you noticed the <laughs> second time? Like, yeah. Tell me about that. Just like how they jam more. Like, I, I wouldn't have picked up on that at all if I didn't see them the first time they did the show. Was it good type two jamming? It was okay. It wasn't anything, like, crazy memorable. I don't know. I'd like to go back and re-listen to that show. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I don't know what they're doing about the audio. I guess they're really just trying to get people to pay for the app because I haven't... Even Coventry Music hasn't been there either. I don't know. My means of getting these audio files are... <laughs> they've got me crawling around on soundcloud yeah <laughs> it's weird for me cool i have to reach out to one of those uh facebook fish groups yeah yeah i'm telling you man they're really interesting for stuff i didn't think i was gonna you know jump on the internet on friday and just have a live stream of the show sitting in my newsfeed. yeah that's pretty cool all i do is click on it and i was like oh Huh. Guess I'll watch the first couple. <laughs> I'll watch till the third song, the song that I like. <laughs> then I'll turn it off. Just while you're sleeping. <laughs> That's the best song. Yeah. It really is. Agreed. It's good. It's really good. Should we play it? Uh, is there any, uh, is there any other Ghost of the Forest? Uh, I thought you wanted to combo? play for the for the, the middle break. Yeah. Oh, you want to? You want to? Yeah, we we don't <laughs> have to drag out. G T O F. That's what I'm saying. Is there anything else worth talking about? I don't think you reading anything about any of this is going to make you go back and listen to it. I don't care about it anymore. Mm -mm. I think it's beautiful that basically Trey wrote a modern day requiem for his friend and he's like sharing it with as many people that'll listen. And I think that's great. And I saw it and it was cool. Um, But yeah, I pulled one thing from it. And it's actually, again, like you were saying before of the pendulum swinging and this is really like a song within a song to me. Yeah, this has got the most time signature changes and like B changes. Yeah. It's the most complex of and all it, the songs. It's what's funny is that I really only like the chunk of reggae. <laughs> Sorry, like that's the song where like the, the lyrics start to get good and the story starts to evolve and then like everything gets bigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. the first build up. Cool, cool. So let's play it. All right. Let me cue it up over here. We'll be back. We'll be back after this short 15-minute break. I've seen the day go by and track you down. Pushed and pulled around, roped and bound. You can drift while you're sleeping. Sleeping, it'll all feel new. 
sun feels warm and that heat there is true, but this life is a stage set. The seeds unrolled on everyone who ever lived or died in that same sunset. So I guess that the good times turned out to be just a temporary reprieve from gravity. A nice trip over the falls and a farewell with me. We'll do it again when we meet on the other side. you
Welcome back to Gadget Brew. Thanks for joining us for the Ghost of the Forest chit-chat. Oh, so glad it's over. Yeah, you really had zero to contribute to that, so... It's hard, sorry. Thanks, everyone, for hard. listening to me and my opinions and what I bring to the table. It's really hard having a fucking conversation when somebody doesn't give a shit. It's great. Yeah, it's hard when you don't give a shit. <sighs> I don't understand I how you can experience something and just have nothing to say about it. <laughs> that, to me, no offense, I know this sounds going to sound really mean, but means you're a kind of a fucking dull person. Like, you have nothing to say about an entire visual and audio, a musical uh, experience. <laughs> like, what, what does that say about you? I have to say about the, the visual part. And you didn't say other. anything about it. It was great. It's awesome. But we're talking, we're talking beer. It's time to talk beer. In order to go to the Ghost of the Forest, we went to Maine. And I think, uh, was this like we bought the tickets for that and then you found out about Saison Day falling on that Sunday? No, I knew about it at a time. Okay. Which is irrelevant to what we're about to talk about. <laughs> so we go up to Portland typically just to eat and drink and have a good time, right? Yeah. And uh, it's cool, I guess, for us to go up there like in the every couple months because everything is fucking constantly changing and constantly expanding and breweries are constantly expanding and breweries are constantly popping up. So the fun thing about this trip was Maine's expansion, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So Maine, finally, finally, I think since I've been going up, ah, since I've been, <laughs> yeah, Maine has had the best progression ever. Because when I first started visiting in 2010, Portland, Maine, they were in a space and industrial way that was never open. And honestly, I don't even know if they ever did brew there because it just seemed like an office space. They had a little tiny sign in the window saying Maine Beer Co. And that was it. Never, ever visited them there, ever. Then they moved to Freeport. And people were like, man, this is pretty freaking cool. Like solar panels, like much bigger space. But their their tasting room in Freeport was still the size of a one room apartment slash closet. Like it was kind of ridiculous. When they moved to Freeport, didn't they brew in a red barn? Wasn't there a red barn on the property at one point? They knocked it down. Uh, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Uh. <laughs> Everything they put in that on that property was constructed. It was bare land when they fucking put a brewery there that's crazy they built everything so <laughs> now they have the best expansion of all because they have probably now the biggest tasting room that exists uh, and with a pizza oven and a giant fucking like waterfall tree and like plants and shit i don't know they have a very awesome giant tasting room now yeah i would i'm, I'm like trying to run all the places that we go through uh through my head i think the only one that's comparable or close to in size and still probably smaller is Oxbow blending station. Yeah, that's big, but I mean, there's really nothing to do there. Yeah. They don't have food or anything. Yeah. So um, anyway, giant new pizza oven, new beers, which is the only reason why I'm excited about it. I don't give two shits about what you do with your space and how you organize it. As long as there's like natural light and plants, I'm happy to hang out there for a while, yeah. but they're finally doing new beers. The last seven, eight, 12 times I visited Maine, they've had nothing that I haven't tried. So yeah. this is the very first time that we went up there and I got to try something new. So not only did they have their current seasonal available, which is spring, which is their counter beer to fall, which is one way they release in the fall, which is just an IPA. They have this whole new series called the Black Barn Program, and they built a black barn there, and that's where they do all their experimentation. And they're finally letting their brewers do like stuff that they want to do. 
So they're finally letting their brewers be kind of creative. So they have this whole series now called the Black Barn series where they're doing like things that I think stylistically are a little bit outside the box for them, which is cool. That's because cool. essentially mean does IPAs and pale ales, like super clean, dry IPAs and pale ales. Like that's what they're known for. And when you go there, you drink a lot of them because they have a lot of them. Yeah. So this is the first time I got to drink something stylistically different from them. So we, when we were there, I did a flight and I got to try the black bar number two, which is their second run in the series. And they call it a main special bitter an MSB instead of an ESB. But I'm a huge ESB fan. It catches my heartstrings every time because no one makes ESBs these days at all. Or I think people, it's like a forgotten style. People don't even understand what the fuck it is, but it's great. So I love when I see a good brewery, like a well, like a technically proficient brewery take on an ESB. It's like one of my favorite things ever. Yeah. And I, then I thought he also said that there was an MSB because everything was sourced from Maine. So they just call it a Maine special bitter, not an extra special bitter because it's like their twist on it, I think. I thought he was. All, I thought. I think he said that like all the grain for that beer is. From I, Maine. They try always to source as much of their ingredients from the state as they can, like always. So yeah. it's not like a, you know, like a unique thing. Yeah. And then their uh, Black Barn program number one is just an IPA. I guess I shouldn't say just an IPA because it's probably great, but it's an IPA, so stylistically similar to kind of a lot of the other stuff that they put out. Yeah. But, um, 100%, I say go up there, I say check it out. There's room for people to actually hang out now. There's like dogs, yeah, there's, there's an, an outside space, space. Yeah. there's a whole balcony up top. Like literally, I think the ro- the current tasting room now fits uh, triple, quadruple, uh, you know, it went from fitting literally like 20 to 30 people <laughs> to like a couple hundred. I think they, uh, you know, they're really anticipating that to be now a major stop for people in the summertime. 100%. Yeah, of course. Um, that's, you know, the pizza was a good idea. Now people will hang out a lot longer. Sure. Sure. Um, they always they, just had the pretzels and the mustard. They also have to think about, I think, when they do their releases, like they do a lot of brewery only releases. So I think that they're being very like courteous and kind to their consumers by offering them now a place that like people can go and hang out and not just like, you know, stand in line, get a case and turn around and have to leave. There's like yeah. something to do. Like you're saying, it's more of a destination now rather than just a place to go and visit. Yeah, we didn't get any of the pizza, but it didn't look. I don't know. I we're from New York, so anything yeah. out of New York for us is crap pizza. Yeah, I just can't do it. Yeah, um, just can't do it. Should we try some of these? Yeah, should we let's try do the it. one number one? One of them's a. Let's try the IPA because I haven't had it and you haven't had it. Yeah, I had the MSB when we were up there because it was available to try on draft. So we have some friends that live up in Maine as well. Uh, a couple friends. <laughs> And uh, we got into a pretty funny discussion about how they were like not jazzed with the um, like layout and design of Maine's new tap room. I just think that's like kind of funny <laughs> because it is a very big space and it is a very new space, but it is a very cold space. Y- it's not y- a very warm space. Yeah, but that's <laughs> you realize that the room that the new tasting room is in is the first expansion space that they had. Sure. 100%. So it has super tall ceilings because they had like what 40, 50 barrel fermenters in there and a yeah. huge brew house and yeah. everything. So they gutted all of that out and they moved and they like got an even bigger system and built a whole new building attached to that building. So it's smart that they're like reusing their own space 
and they used like lofted space to fill up the tall ceilings to increase the capacity and like one of my favorite things is the way that they like windowed out like in front of where the brew house is right so they put these giant glass panes and then beautiful woodworking like they literally made like just giant beautiful windows in front of the, the brew house and I think it's really pretty and like very aesthetically pleasing and it does draw your eye and it does kind of like remind you you're sitting in this like production space. And I, I really enjoyed that a lot, actually. Yeah. What do we think of this Black Barn number one IPA? It's not as uh, it's a little wetter than most of their beers. It's not as dry. Wetter? I love this. I think it's actually really good. It feels soft to me. But it's still really punchy, like still really yeah. juicy. No, yeah, it's still their fingerprint. It's still. How did this compare? Because you just had it, and I didn't. The uh, post-fried snack, the session IPA. Do you remember how this compares to that? Oh, that one. Uh, it was just light and like its body and its like mouthfeel, yeah. and it still was like really like peppery and them sure. like dry. Yeah, yeah. This is a little bit more fruity, I think. Yeah. Maybe they use different hops in this. It's for sure fuller. Fulla. Fulla. Coats the tongue. I feel like everything I drink of theirs scrapes like and finishes dry. Taking a rake to my taste buds. I love like I always get like really excited for breweries when they get into like the phase that Maine has just got into which is like you have your smaller system now or like Bissell, like when they expand, like you have your smaller system now and then you can put that towards being like the creative fun thing that you get to do. Yeah. Because you get to a point quickly that you're basically just making the same beer over and over and over to satiate the need and satiate the customer demand. Yeah. And then there gets this like magical time where like you can expand and you, have you the can capital. get a bigger brew house. Well, yeah. So it's keep turning out what you have been producing and are struggling to produce. And then you have the system, the original system where you can start doing like super fun shit and playing around and like making, developing better recipes. Well, that's why most people after this step of doing the more creative stuff and trying different styles, the next step after that is barrel aging. Although some sure. breweries opt to do that first. Like, I don't know. It also seems like a bunch of breweries around have like uh foam they always had house of fermentology and bissell has their second location which is for doing sour weird stuff like a natural progression is to build a second space and then house barrels there yeah because you always have to keep your wild uh yeast separate from all of your clean yeast yeah so you need a whole separate facility to do that yeah so but that's, that's that's what happens it's just that's what i'm saying it's interesting that it seems like even Allagash, when they grew their second time, like once they actually just used their original pilot system that he used to like s brew on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that became the pilot system for the weird, cool stuff. And they needed a barrel facility quickly because they were doing Belgian styles. They've like, always had a giant cooler with barrels in it. Like they've always had that for as long as I can remember. But even Allagash, they're expanding like crazy. Like they just got a canning line because now they're doing the 16 ounce cans. Yeah. And uh, when we were there, we saw the massive space in the back where they're adding on to the building that's going to be there, just their packaging like facility, their packaging space. Yeah. So I don't know. I've the reason why I think that I fell out of like brewing is because the path is always the same. 
and I've never wanted to be that type of person who doesn't have like a very like creative and like artistic like way of developing and creating yeah I think, I think very quickly people have to jump into doing like the same regular over and over and over and over and over and at that, at that point it just becomes about production and repetition yeah and to me that's like taking all the creative beauty out of it you know once you go from having to do everything yourself and like have your hands on everything to moving to a machine where you can just push a button you lose the the feel for it you lose the connection to it i think yeah, I mean, I that you, I think, when you start growing your brewery, you have to make a decision on what you want to do with your beer. Cause well, where you want it to be sold, how big you want to get, what markets you want to be in, well, yeah, like, what it means. I always thought that what was really creative about other half is that it looked like, <laughs> for a while, they had these crazy hop contracts where they would have leftover hops, and they started doing those single hop series. Like there's things that you can do creatively like with production and like how you run your business, especially when you're like other half in this scenario where all they make are IPAs and pale ales. But like, I didn't interrupt you that time. I know I lost that one on my own. <laughs> Happens like that. I want too. that on the record. There was no interruption there. No, but one I of just, the, no, no, but one of the things you have to yeah, one of the things you have to figure out is that like I want my beer to do this. So if you say to yourself like I want my beer to be everywhere, then you're getting to that point that you're talking about and you're getting to this stage for Maine where it's just like their beer is able to reach farther. That's why you need more stable styles that people are just like cranking. Yeah, but see the only people I've ever met that say that are people who get into this business from a purely marketing perspective and uh, are chasing being a brewery is because they know there's money to be made there in that market segment right now. What if you say as a brewer as early in your understanding of everything, I want my beer to be on every like street everywhere. I want it to be like international. I don't know any person who starts a brewery that initially says that ever. Everyone I know has been like a home brewer and just like <laughs> loves making beer. Yeah, no, but at each I'm, stage. I'm telling you, like right, the only person I've ever sat down and like been with is a yeah. dude at a bar once who's like, oh, you want to try one, one of my beers that's on draft here? And I was like, what is it? He's like, it's 312 or it's a 212. And I was like, what's that? I've never heard of it. He's like, oh, it's this brewery, you know, we like a uh, contract brew at a Greenport Harbor, like somewhere in New York. And he's like, I don't know. I just decided to make this brewery because I saw the opportunity. I was in Chicago and somebody copyrighted 312, which is their area code and nobody had done that here so it's like yeah i just copyrighted and like decided to start a brewery with it i was like oh so you have no like interest in brewing or like for beer or like any of that like and it was like nope you just saw an opportunity to buy something to take it and to fucking mass produce it and market it yeah and that's what i'm talking about like i don't think anybody as far as like people i know like ever started out wanting to grow and be as big as they currently have been but as as things start happening you start have to asking yourself questions right so you have to start saying, like, do I want to, like, I'm thinking of, like, Monkish, right? They came out and said they were going to be Belgian only and, like, farmhouse and whatever, and now they make a fuck ton of IPAs. Like, Allagash sticks by this, like, thing where they only make Belgian-style beers. Like, at some point, you ask yourself this, like, moral question about like, the product that you're producing, and you have to take a stand on one side or another. So, yeah, but that has nothing to do with the size that you become. Yeah, I think it does, though. 
Because if you're saying I want my beer to be everywhere, then you do follow the path that everybody follows and gets to the big size that everybody gets to and gets to the manufacturing that everybody has to get to for their beer to reach that far. Or you can sit there and you can say, you know what? I'm New Glarus. I don't want my beer to leave the state. So now even if I like maximize my space, I can still do creative and cool things because of the size that I am and where I like the marketing actually does kind of dictate what they can do an experiment with. The market, not the marketing. The market they choose. Correct. The size they choose. And for the third time, because I don't think you're listening to me, I've not met one brewer who owns a multi-conglomerate. The fucking dude from Sierra Nevada did not start out saying, I want to own two breweries on both coasts and fucking have my beer everywhere. Ken Grossman did not start out that way. Larry Bell from Bells did not start out that Same way. Calgione These people all started start out, out in way. their fucking basements just wanting to be fucking cool kids who homebrew home beer. <laughs> okay. I don't know. A lot of dude from Lawson's would only sell his fucking beer at the fucking farmer's market in Vermont. He never wanted to have it bigger know. than anything than a six barrel system or a, I think a five barrel system and produce shit in his shed. And then all of a sudden he did a one fucking 80 and sold his recipes to a place in Connecticut. And now they fucking churn out sip of sunshine, which sucks. That makes me lose credibility for you. That makes me yeah, lose, no, but lose <laughs> that like but brotherhood I feel with you. That <laughs> y- you're somebody that understands that I, you treat things artistically the way that I do. I, I, yeah, I, you lose that. That goes out the window. That's for me. what I'm saying. You're proving like there's an authenticity to that. The way you choose to answer that question. So again, if if a brewery like doesn't decide that they or they they come out saying we're a small craft brewery and we care about craft beer and we want to do things that are different and then like 5 years later you hear they sold out to like fucking InBev or fucking what's the other people the constellation people like you immediately go I'm not going to drink their beer anymore. This has been absorbed by the machine. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't stand for what I, I stand for anymore. I actually have zero like, issue with drinking people's beer who sell it to big corporations. I don't give two fucks about it. So what about... My point is that I lose respect for the product. I lose respect for the creation. Right. You're, you're, you're I don't, I don't, I'm not going to stop drinking Lagunitas because they're owned by Heineken now. I'm not going to stop drinking Ballast Point because they're owned by Constellation and Corona now. I don't do that. I don't stop drinking beers because they're sold off to a bigger company. Okay. That's just business. That's just straight fucking clean business. You see an opportunity to make a fuck ton of money and retire? That's just straight business. But those are the people that I will never uh, share anything with or understand why they got into brewing in the first place. Cause that's my point is like the reason why I stopped home brewing and brewing is because like the only part of it that I really enjoy is the recipe development. I don't enjoy any of the actual process of doing it. <laughs> the labor of doing it. Correct. You're saying. And yeah. that's ultimately why people end up graduating to bigger systems is because it makes it easier for them to brew. Yeah, that's true. And that's a different thing. Making it easier is a different thing. But losing the creativity is something I think is plaguing our industry right now. So many breweries start out as being one thing and end up just making IPAs, double IPAs, and pale ales. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're like the new way to immediately knock it out of the park, even if the beer's not that good. But there's going to be a whiplash to that. There's going to be a time where they're so bad, people are just pouring them down the drain and refusing to drink them. They take risks on uh, $18 for a pack, and they're like, I can't keep taking $18 risks anymore. Well, people in the but beer then, industry are already over this. But then, well, look. look I'm what, over it. Look what happens. You get people, when you go to a beer industry event, and you're hanging out with a bunch of beer people, they drink fucking Budweiser. Like. <laughs> I drink Pilsners and Lagers because they're <laughs> delicious and refreshing. 
And you're so, <laughs> I feel like, to some psychological level, tired of getting burned that you just want something that you know is going to be reliable and taste the way that you want it to taste. It's not even about getting burned because it's like, not that I don't like the taste of like a hot bomb or like an unfiltered triple IPA. It's just how much of that can you drink? That's the issue for me. Yeah. Not the flavor and the way it tastes, just how much of it are you able to drink? Never in my life, even back when I loved IPAs and wanted like 80, 90 IBU IPAs, wanted to drink like a triple IPA. I've yeah. never walked up to a board and been like, oh, that triple IPA sounds like what I want to drink right now. <laughs> never, never in my life. I do if it, the description is something that like tickles, you know, my stomach. But if they tell you but it's you're like honey the type and of person like that's whatever, intrigued like by all the bullshit, just like we met a guy in Maine who was like a beer trader. And like he was like fully on board with all the crazy shit that people were doing. No, because when you he's like the guy <laughs> they write those articles about, they're like putting donuts and beer. Like, has everything gone too far? And then you flip around, and you're like, nope, because there are guys like this who fucking eat it up, eat it up. You don't think making a beer like the brewery makes the horchata beer that's supposed to taste like Mexican horchata isn't like an amazing accomplishment? I think uh, that beer is an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, that's a different story. That's like, a different that's story like because they made that beer a long time ago. No, but that's like de- you when you as a brewer can deconstruct something and reconstruct it as a beer. I think that's a fucking amazing achievement. Again, the the same thing I told that guy that we met. <laughs> I told him there was that beer. I forget, always forget the brewery that makes it. It was at that event that we went to and it tastes like a fucking blueberry muffin. And like all you have to do is say, "Hey, this beer, when you Great taste notion. it, yeah, when you taste this, it's based out of the other Portland. It's gonna s- both smell and taste like a blueberry muffin, but still be a beer in your mouth. And you drink it and you go, "Holy shit, <laughs> these fucking magicians! How did they do this? Like, I don't know. That that sells me every time i don't I think ever that's want a beer to taste awesome. like a blueberry muffin ever hey if i want to taste a fucking blueberry muffin i'll go make a fucking blueberry <laughs> muffin and eat a blueberry muffin that's my point i don't know i think you're being like people are just doing things now to do things to say why, they've done them. so oh we put donuts in this fucking beer oh we dropped fucking tortillas in this beer oh we fucking put uh butt farts in this beer like when where is it gonna stop where is the line gonna be drawn but you who love who cooking cares? where does it stop with cooking why do people make cronuts like why do you need a croissant that's also a donut like what the fuck why do you that need is a creation why do you, why that's do you a need creation edible, of why do you need edible fucking cookie dough and just sell it to people like it's the same shit like <laughs> it's the same shit i'm sorry i think i completely disagree and i think you're missing the point of my entire no. statement i don't think there's anything wrong with pushing the limit with stuff and i think there's gonna be a whiplash and bad beer that comes with that i'm not denying that i think part all of the beer that comes with that is bad <laughs> that's my point instead of focusing on the things you can walk down a fucking grocery store aisle and buy to th- randomly throw into your fucking beer you should yeah. be developing a recipe that's yeah. my point it's about craftsmanship it's about fucking creativity it's about somebody who can do take the easy way out and it's about somebody who actually has a love and a passion for something and wants to develop something it'll always be that way across anything yeah, same thing I'm, I'm just trying to say that like i think out of that crazy shit that you're that's going on that you're talking about, I think good beer comes out of that. And I think what you're saying sometimes and I'm what I'm saying is is that those people had to think pretty creatively to even get to those terrible beers and they might be dumpers, but I'm glad they're taking the risk to see what they get. 
And I understand that you don't like the blueberry. And I'm beer, saying for every hundred of those recipes, <laughs> for every hundred of those bullshit moronic recipes, if they made the same recipe over and over and it was a fucking solid pilsner, I would drink that until the end of time. Okay. Why would you want to dump out 99 beers down the drain that taste like shit so you when you can have an award-winning beer that you've perfected over time? So you're now telling me basically what you support is someone just making one thing and doing it right. So I, why I support, would I be creative? I support the perfection of a product, the perfection of a recipe. And that's okay. something that in the current climate doesn't exist because these fucking new brewers are like, well, I'm going to make this IPA and then this IPA. People don't make things consistently right, anymore. Liz, that's, uh, right, Liza, because the business model is that if you want to be able to create creative shit, you have to have beer that keeps the lights on explain to me what you just said like in order to well, it doesn't make sense to me i feel like any brewery in order to get to a point where they start making good creative shit they have to get big enough and have enough like beers that allow them to keep the fucking motor running that they get to start playing around with other shit they have the capital to spend more money on ingredients and like try other things out and like get creative and like my favorite brewery is Oxbow. Oxbow and Allagash. Those are the two superstars up in Maine for me. Okay. Because they do traditional things like barrel aging, f- adding fruit, and blending those things together. They do. Uh, both of those breweries on their own are incredibly creative. I- insanely yeah. creative. Yeah. But they're creative in a logical and like a way that's worth being creative. And you don't think the reason why they're creative is because they're big enough and have the space to have all those barrels where they can run f- a beer for five years and not have to worry about the outcome. That's their like, space. You're talking about space the, versus having a fucking it's moron the, brewer it's, it's who wants to throw cupcakes into a fucking beer. And that's what I'm talking about. That moron only has like one 10 barrel fermenter and he only, he's like trying it to try it. And he's like, shit, I got to sell it. Cause if I don't, I got to dump it all. And I can't keep my business running if I do that. So I'd gladly put something forward that was, being creative on and tell my people hey this is me just trying to be creative and some people aren't gonna like it but whatever (laughs) like that's a different business model that's all i'm saying and some people have the luxury to be that size where they're like we can go all in on this shit and some people in the in this in the different stage of their size like bissell brothers or foam choose to just invest in that shit out the gate so I can expect now that Foam and Bissell Brothers are going to have a better sour program than fucking Maine because Maine doesn't have one yet. But guess what they're going to have very soon? They're going to have one because they're going to keep just getting more space. Like, it's an eventuality. <laughs> we should try this other beer. We still haven't tried it yet. I've had it and it's great. I hate what you're saying, and I think you're dumb for buying into the fucking dumb bullshit. And I'm telling you, fucking world. No, I'm telling you that people people who take people who take three plus years to make one beer by blending three different beers together in the classic lambic style way that you produce a beer, all that time and patience and product ends up yielding something that's like so beautiful and so worth it yeah that like i agree that versus i'm saying somebody that's like 
oh, today I'm just going to like make an Imperial Stout and fucking throw some licorice into it. No, like, no, that no, no, sounds no. good to me. Like, you're, you're already off my point. The difference is in those two scenarios is that how many times do you think they had to make that three-year Lambic before they released it to the public? A couple, right? They're not going to get it right and out of the park the first time. And in order to do that, you have to have like resources to take those risks. Like That's what I'm they saying. They just let beer sit in barrels. If and then if it I turns out good, it turns out good. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And they usually blend it with other batches of things and they like develop these amazing fucking beers. So, and they've learned how to do all this by having their barrel age program for a really long time. Agash has always had one, like you're saying. Yeah, w- yeah, well, they've had the intention of always wanting to do that. That's always been in their game plan. It's sure. always been in their model. It's 100%. always been how they're operating. But I'm saying that's a cool way, a cool uh, means to create something amazing. No. And that's a very, like, a long path it's a very hard path it's a very expensive path yeah. but it's a path that wor- that is worth taking no you get really cool shit that way and I'm, what i'm saying is is that the smaller brewery that can make a beer in a week would gladly throw fucking uh sprinkles into their beer for sugar this content because it'll take them it's chemicals w- Week to sugar and chemicals. Out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fucking disgraceful. That's what that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and you want them to use what <laughs> hard rock candy, and then you'd be okay with it. Candy sugar, correct? Because yeah, that's yeah. the Belgian way. Yeah, that's right. See, so it's so really, it's just about like sticking to like proper means of making something. You wouldn't throw waffle cones into a beer. No, people have done that. <laughs> and again, like it's with anything, like. You always compare it to like food because I love to cook and I'm like obsessed with like the culinary scene and chefs. It's the same thing. It's like somebody like being very traditionalistic and or like wanting to present something like very high quality and very unique versus something that's like, oh, I'm just going to like totally like banking on this trend right now. Yeah, but don't (laughs) you also think the market has people who like going to high end Michelin star? 100%. And some people like fucking... Eating a fucking giant dump of fucking dough like in a cup like their fucking local like chinese cream? food place sure. that's gonna put <laughs> salt and sugar in their system until they die like some people don't, like you have <laughs> if you 100%, build it 100 100 and i'm not like a fucking snob like by any means i eat fucking chinese food more than anybody i'm just saying like there's somebody like me who's done w- w- the creation and done the process and and brewed and understood kind of like what it takes to do it i will always have this like verdant respect for like people who have always taken like the long way the harder way the more expensive way just like the the way that's going to yield the best quality product right and i think ultimately versus people who are cashing in on trends but i would argue that most people especially now more than ever with these like fucking what's that shit that everybody buys at christmas those air fryers and shit we're getting to a point in society where it's like the jetsons where i can walk up to the microwave press a button just get the perfect version of whatever i asked for or like star trek and shit See, i don't believe so like, in things like that because <laughs> you have this I, very I one-sided perspective i'm telling you perspective it even influences like how you consume product like it's part of like who you are as a person and that r- is reflected in how you buy and trust like things and companies and you know practices and shit so that's what i'm saying that's great, but there's also people who will go into fucking Walmart and eat in the McDonald's in that Walmart, knowing that that dude probably didn't wash his hands and probably rubbed his fucking patty on the floor. And they're like, fuck it, I'm at Walmart. McDonald's tastes the same everywhere I go. I just, I, 
my like perfect day will be like when <laughs> all the bullshit that's happening in the beer industry falls to the wayside. Breweries actually start tanking for not having good pro- quality product and people will start understanding that rather than expanding out and having multiple fucking breweries and multiple fucking brew houses, everyone should like retract and get back to like where you State are at the origin or, yeah, yeah, and fucking produce the best quality and have people come to you. And I, I say that and I guess I mean, I, I like truly mean it and I very much believe it, but it also like fucking drives me insane when like I have to go out and like sell product and the only thing people care about is where the beer is produced. Yeah. That's the other end of the spectrum and that's not what I'm talking about at all. It enrages me when someone like doesn't want to put an Allagash White on their menu because it's not made in New York. Like that's dumb. That's just straight dumb. So, like, again, for me, it always comes down to the quality of the product. If you're asking me for something specific and I'm literally, like, in my brain, this beer I'm thinking of ticks every single box for you. The only thing it doesn't is it's not from New York and you're telling me you don't want to have anything of it or even try it or taste it or think about it as an option because it's not produced in New York. That's dumb to me. Yeah. So, really, you're saying, like restaurants and like grocery stores and like all these places that offer product (laughs) and people I guess in general are pushing those trends or saying I just want something that's from here which is interesting not to mention how the fuck do you pair like a a sprinkle stout with a fucking high quality dish yeah you don't those are not pairing beers (laughs) and maybe that's my keyhole that's how I look at things today I was thinking that I was like Man, I don't ever have a craving to drink a beer unless I have food to pair with it. So, like, I think about beer the way that people think about wine. Like, I genuinely think that eating food while drinking a beer elevates both things. And it's rare that I ever just want to, like, stand around and, like, drink a beer. Right. I view it as, like, part of, like, an experience. And 99.99% of that time, I want something to eat with that beer and i always think about pairing things that's like how my brain works i do too i think that's why i'm starting to find things like the ho dad that we drank not so many <laughs> eons ago what was your that favorite was like, brewery oh, that I we eat? were what do i eat that with? What, what was your favorite brewery we visited this time up in portland um I feel like we went to all the OGs that we normally go to. Yeah, we went to Defiant. There wasn't anything was like okay, too new. Yeah, I can't answer that question. I'm sorry. Defiant took a poop on my face this time. I don't want to ever go there again. When oh, I you make a fucking milk stout with a fucking candy pieces, Reese's Pieces cereal, you pretty much lost me. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. When I, when yeah, I walk into a brewery and I'm like, man, the first experience I had was here was great and now you're, I'm walking in and I'm seeing you fucking make beer with cereal and fucking bullshit, I, you've lost me. you straight up lost me. I, you've you've gone to an area where I don't want to go. This bitter is pretty good. Pretty toasty. I love ESBs. It tastes like Somebody a make a fucking mild, good ESB. A very, very, Maine. very mild it's great. whiskey. If whiskey could be air pressed, like coffee, that's this. But <laughs> doing aero press. Yeah. I used to joke, and it's funny because it's happened to me, that like everyone in beer, everyone in their beer lifetime, their beer career, their their lifespan starts out the same way. People start out wanting things that are sweet because people don't like bitter. Bitter is a very hard thing for your palate to like to adjust to want to crave so everyone that starts out drinking beer goes for the fucking 
triples and the blue moons and things that are either Delirium. sweet or easy yet yeah, or like clean Delirium. or like gentle on the palate, right? Then you push past that and you get into this phase that you're like, whoa, there's all these like crazy fucking IPAs that are like happening. And like everyone's like pushing the, you know, pushing it to the extreme and everyone is doing like crazy, weird, cool stuff. It's like against traditional stuff. So you go into that phase and you want like the craziest shit anybody can give you. And you're like, cool, 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 cool. Then you fucking get super burned on burned out on that. And then you're like, start trying the classic styles. You go backwards. You revert to everything that was classic before all the trend bucking. And you're like, oh, cool. Now I'm experiencing all these classic styles the way they're meant to be experienced. And I understand why they've been styles for like hundreds of years. Why people like fucking Schneiderweiss have been brewing for 150 years in Germany. And then you're like, I get it. I get origins of styles. And then you go out and you try to find craft versions of the origin styles. I would say that about every liquor <laughs> ever. I don't think but people that's start everyone's drinking general progression. whiskey and going, hmm, I wonder if it's going to taste like and then sherry you get into whiskey your or... Uh, or peat moss whiskey, like you. That's how everybody. Then does you get it. into your old man beer drinking phase, which yeah. is what I call it, where all you want to drink is fucking really high quality pilsners and lagers. <laughs> they taste really good, and you know they're going to be produced really well. And it's a style that is endlessly classic because you can drink it with anything, for anything, at any time. It's the McDonald's of beer. No, it's always going to taste the same. High quality. Psych. <laughs> yeah, this ESB is nutty. I love I love ESBs. Thank yeah. you, Maine, for making an ESB. Toasty. This made me fall back in love with you, to Toasty be honest. And nutty. Loved it. Loved it. Allagash was great, too. We should talk about all the new shit they're doing. Yeah. Allagash is, like, for the first time in a very long time, like, moving into a new phase of production. Like, they're doing 16-ounce cans. Yeah. Cans is something I thought that they would never ever do. Yeah. And now they're moving into a 16 ounce can phase. They're moving into like a rotating seasonal yeah. phase. Like they're doing a lot of really well, cool interesting shit. Because they're starting to do like straight packaging. So it's now like what do you they're at this phase where you know for their business model they have to start going what do we want to be on the shelves all the time? What do we want to commit to packaging? Like keep out there. And like obviously the white is the flagship. It's always going to be everywhere. They're always going to be canning that and pushing that out. So it's going to be interesting to see what starts sticking as like that we we're starting to see that this one's selling really well. We're going to keep this one going. Maybe have two lines and then they'll go to three lines and like how they push out the constants that are going to help. The them. 16 ounce canning line is giving them the ability to rotate beers quarterly. So they're coming out with a beer every single quarter for every year. And that's kind of instead of doing seasonals like that's what they're going to have is quarterly releases in the 16 ounce cans. Yeah. Cha. That's crazy. It's great. Super smart. You don't think white's going to stay on all year round? White is going to be in 16 ounce cans forever. It's year round. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying in addition to that, they're using that canning line smart in a smart way. And it's the first time they're developing a sort of rotating calendar schedule of things that they're producing. And they're making them very seasonally appropriate, which is great. Yeah. They also, you know, they let their employees develop recipes and, you know, people get to hopefully drink. Yeah, one of our great friends who works at Algash has a national beer that just got released. Yeah. A, a beer that just got released nationally. It's fucking amazing. It's really good. And it's yeah. a perfect spring beer. And that's when I heard what it was. I was like, damn, that makes so much sense to have released in the spring. That beer's like going to crush it. 
Yeah. I think they're doing like in the fall or the winter, they're doing like a dark beer, like a roasted dark beer. Like, you know what I mean? Like a, a variant on the black or like something yeah. like that. They're doing everything really smart and like making it very seasonal. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And it's always going to be pairing with what you're making seasonally because you cook and you cook seasonally. <laughs> their <laughs> their beer their beer is hands down the best beer to pair with food. Oh, yeah. When you when Belgian I walked in when I walked into Allagash Brewing for the first time, one of the only pieces of merchandise they had was a cookbook, and I was like, "Fuck!" Like I instantly love these people, and I know that I'm gonna love this beer because people who think in terms of that that ideology are people who are gonna create beautiful amazing beer and they do yeah it's great <laughs> congratulations to rob todd for being nominated for a james beard award that's how fucking awesome that dude is that brewery is yeah it's nuts they also like have this just like uh magnetic and w- weirdly amazing way of like hiring like the best people that like live in this world like people just gravitate to them because they're a really good company, I think. And people are very passionate about their product because it's great. Mm. Yeah, they're. <laughs> I love them. I would work for them in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think anybody would who understands good beer. Hire me. I wouldn't hire you, based on what everything you just said. I'd be like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> go throw sprinkles in some other person's beer, dick. I'm just saying, let people let them create. It's going to be a lot of failure, but let them create. It's also going to help weed those bad breweries out that you're talking about that you want the whiplash to go away. Those quackadoo can't creates will blow their wads on things that they think are good and they'll help them tank. So again, you need the little fish to feed the bigger fish. I guess so. (laughs) Let capitalism run its course. (laughs) I'm surprised we didn't see any weed beer up there. Uh, Now that weed is legal there. It's too new. We got to do that as a segment in an upcoming episode and how that's going to start affecting the beer industry. I guess we got to fly somewhere weed. and bring all of our uh, podcast equipment so we can <laughs> drink a bunch of uh Or bring it beer. back like we always do with everything, no matter where we go. Shh, that's illegal. Okay, I'm cutting that out. Um, right, I feel like we've talked for way too long on this segment. Yeah. Cool. Let's, let's uh, wrap it up, Box. Wrap it up. <laughs> all right. Well, Thanks Portland, Maine, for a lovely experience this this trip. Thank you, Ghost of the Forest, for having an amazing show for me to see. I love and I love going to a place with things I love that just makes me feel like it provides like it satiates me in every way, stimulates me in every way. Got to see one of my favorite bands. Got to see people in my one of my favorite bands. And I got to go to a place that's like the best beer, hands down, anywhere with the great greatest food. Portland, Maine. Damn. <laughs> Check it out. That sums it up. <laughs> Check it out. We're going to go out on My Favorite Ghost of the Forest song. A Light Beyond the Dream. Dude, yeah. I, this is my favorite song. Enjoy. Uh, <laughs> we will see you next time. Uh, Black stallions through the night. On a perfect ride. I watched you open wide You looked into me I had to turn away I didn't want to leave
See you. 